Love came down. I want to thank everyone for coming because uh, this Christmas service is a great time to, to, to really reflect on uh, the main reason why we come to know God, we come to church, is because a long time ago, God loved us so much that he came down. And the first point of my lesson is that when, when, when love came down, God came down. And in our Bibles, and I'll, I think I'll show you a slide here if I can uh, get this to work. Um, in the book of Isaiah, it's about 750 B.C., Isaiah writes about God. Uh, he says that God will come down. He says he'll be called Wonderful God, Counselor. Um, it's an amazing description of God coming down to earth. And it says in the scripture that he'll live in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And people will be in darkness, and he's coming to be a light. Now, this is very interesting because the Bible, um, was this, when during, during this authorship, was written in 700 B, 750 B.C. Now, the actual physical document of the oldest Old Testament we have is 200 B.C., where we actually can physically look at it and see it. Because over the years, it, it disintegrates in, in paper. But we do have uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found, and it's dated 200 B.C. So this is the, when it was actually written. We have the actual hard copy of 200 B.C. So if you look on your timeline, 200 B.C., zero. This is still a lot, many hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth. And what I find interesting is that Jesus was born in around 5 or 6 B.C. And you're thinking, what? I thought it was zero. So did I. But we know that King Herod died in 4 B.C. We found his, uh, his grave last year. It was pretty cool. And we know that from history. And he tried to kill every two-year-old child. So if he died in 4 B.C., I'm not a math major, but if he died in 4, 4 B.C. and he tried to kill every two-year-old son in, uh, uh, male uh, son in Bethlehem, that makes Jesus born about 5 or 6 B.C., Right? And if you look in your Bible, we know the wise men didn't come to the manger. They came to a house and saw a child. But in our culture, we kind of, it's, better, it's a better marketing package to put them all together, make it simple. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says that he was born during this time. And it puts, a, and it puts an emphasis on his birth, on, on the time frame of his birth. Because we know from the book of Daniel that the head of gold during this time was the Babylonian Empire. And what Daniel interpreted was, after your, after your empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, there'll, become, there'll, there'll be three more empires after you. And that's the chest of silver, uh, the, th uh, the, the thighs, and the legs of iron, the bronze thigh here, legs of iron. We know that history tells us that it was Babylonian, uh, then it was the Persians, under Darius, and all those Cyruses, and all those, Greek, uh, those Persian kings. And then Alexander the Great rose and dominated the land. And then uh, he died and his four generals took over. And the Roman Empire eventually took over that. And so during that time, a rock, the Bible says a rock hit the statue, crushed it, and it hit the rock, or the rock hit the statue in the feet, which was the heir of the Roman Empire. This is all... Set five, six hundred years before it actually happened. This was, this was what predicted that this rock would hit 
during the Roman Empire, and this was the time that Jesus was born. This was the time the Bible says that the Messiah will come to the earth. He comes during that time. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was not called Jesus from Bethlehem, if you know that. He was called Jesus of Nazareth, because he grew up in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but in the time of Mary and Joseph, there were two Bethlehems, one up in the north and one way down in the south, and Nazareth is in the north. You know, if you just kind of get a little bit sinful and say, well, how are they going to know if I just go to this Bethlehem? It's only 20 miles away versus traveling down 150 miles with my pregnant wife on a donkey. I mean, I don't know about you, but Mark would say, I don't feel cool with that. You're right, honey. We should probably just go over there and just, you know, it's really close. And, I mean, can you imagine the, the, the discussion? But what, what impresses me is the character of, of Joseph and Mary. He goes all the way down to the city to where he was born, and that is Bethlehem. What's interesting here is the prophets foretold this. In, 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 the, in the prophet Micah, about 740 B.C., he writes this, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small and among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He was born and prophesied to be in Bethlehem. We know that when King Herod heard, he was, heard about this Messiah coming, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, notice that, he called the, the scholars of his day. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they quoted the book of Micah. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among your rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, everyone knew that it was going to come in Bethlehem. People knew this. At least the, at least the, the teachers knew this. And so what happens is he's, he's born there, and then Herod tries to kill him. They go to Egypt, and then they want to come back, but they realize he can't come back to his hometown. So he's got to go back to Nazareth. So he got, got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, that's the son of Herod, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. What's interesting here is in the Old Testament, it says in Isaiah... The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be blessed. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is what they said the Messiah was going was to kind of hang out here. This land will be blessed. If you look at the old map, and you look at the map of Jesus, here is the Sea of Galilee. And look where Nazareth is. Right there. Right by the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. What can we learn from that? You can trust the Bible. When God says something back here, he means it. When Daniel says something, he meant it. When he said Jesus is coming, it's really him. You can trust the Bible. You can trust it. How do we know this? Because we know the document, at least, at least for, our, for the archaeologists, this is 200 B.C. This is 200 years before the birth of Jesus. And we know that Joseph was from here, went down there, had birth in a manger, with the, with, and then, then went to Egypt, came all the way back, and went back to Galilee 
And that's where the Bible says he was going to live his life. Pretty interesting, huh? You can trust the Bible. When love came down, God came down. That's awesome. Now, the Bible also says this about, about Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. When love came down, God came down. That's the Bible says. Again, it says this in Hebrews 1. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. When you look at Jesus, when you read about Jesus, you are looking and seeing God. When you read your Bible and you look at his life, you can see God exactly the way Jesus is. Jesus brought the little children. Hey, hey disciples, don't stop them. Let them come to me. If you're like this little child, if you, can't, if you can't change and be like this child, you'll never get to heaven. That's what he said. That's what God said. Be humble. When God came down, love arrived. True love. Second point is when God came down, he showed us what love really is. You know, we live in a culture that is shallow. Do we not? When it comes to love. Spiritually speaking, too. If you want a relationship with God, if you want a relationship with Jesus, let's examine the Bible and see where your love is comparatively to what the Bible says. Okay? Look at this passage here. This is interesting. John chapter 8. Jesus says here this, to the Jews who believed in him. Now, that was a pretty big accomplishment for a Jewish person to put his faith in Jesus. You're the Messiah. That's not cool right now, but I believe you. He says, and Jesus says this, if you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, one thing about Jesus is that he's truthful in his relationships. He doesn't say, wow, the Jews believed in me. Hey, just hang out with me, just kind of follow me, and then that's cool. He says, no. If you obey my teachings, you are really my disciples. What is he saying there? He says that intellectual belief in Jesus and God is not enough. I mean, many people just believe in the concept of God. He says that's not enough. What about sincerity? Does sincerity equal truth? You know, I really love, I, I'm feeling, I'm, and Peter, I'm feeling the songs right now. I'm feeling the songs. But your life is opposite of the Bible. But you're feeling it. Does sincerity equal truth? Not necessarily. If you hold to my teachings, you'll have a real relationship with God. How many of us here are married? A lot of married people. Do our spouses want intellectual belief of the marriage? Honey, <laughs> I, mean, I am, I'm married to you, but I'm going to go out for a couple days. I, I, I love you, but I'm hanging out with the fellas. It's Monday Night Football. I mean, think about your relationships. Are you, are you intellectually believe you're, you're married? Yes, but if you don't live a, by the teachings of the principles of marriage, you won't be married for long. Yeah. Or you'll be married and have, you know, 30 years of misery. 
You're committed to the marriage, but you're totally unhappy. We've seen that, haven't we? There's some cultures where divorce is only death, but it's totally unhappy. It's if you hold to the teachings. It's like any relationship. So here's the standard. Look at this passage. True love is this. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You know, what Jesus is teaching us is that love is not all emotional feelings. I think at first it is. You know when you first met your wife? You're like, she's awesome. She doesn't like my music, but she's amazing. (laughs) She doesn't like sports, but I love her. You know, it's, it's emotional. It's like you're almost blind to the facts because it's, oh, it's just emotional. You're, she, she captivates you with her, with her laughter or with her, the way she throws her hair back or, or, maybe, or maybe he was working out and he looks like, ooh, I got a statue up there earlier. That's my husband right there. He looks good. Wow, he's solid. He's like bronze. He's awesome. He'll be my arm candy during Christmas. He's amazing. You know, we can have a superficial aspect of looking at how we love people. And there's a component of being emotional. There's a component of that, yeah. But that emotion is more brought out when you live by the principles of a relationship. Like, I've been married 10 years. That's pretty awesome. Going on 11 in, Jan- in January. Um, you know, after 10 years of marriage, what makes me attracted to my wife Karen is that, that she is committed and living in, in the, the principled relationship with, I'm her, her focus in the sense of our relationship. There's nothing that comes before me outside of God. You know, there's no creative memories that come before me. There's no, there's no, you know, all this other stuff, these hobbies that come before me. It's God and then me, and for me, it's God and then her, and then my children. So many people make mistakes of putting their children, God, and their children, and their marriage on the back burner. And you know, how that, you know how that feels. That doesn't feel good. In a relationship with Jesus, we may feel in love with God, but this is the true love. He says, if you obey my teachings. Now, in 1 John, Paul writes that love is this. Love is action and truth. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue. Oh, I love you, baby. You're awesome. I admire you. No, it says, let us know with actions and truth. You know, getting up earlier and doing some chores around the house, that's, that's my action. Because I have to get a Karen. When Karen calls me, I try to come. Yes, what, yes do you need anything? Yes. I, stop, I try. You know, it's hard for me to stop what I'm doing when she calls me. Like, hey, honey. I'm like, doesn't she know I'm in the middle of something amazing? <sighs> And my tendency is just to ignore her. She's in another room. I could play it like I never heard it. Yes. I, can, I, never, I never heard it. 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 So many things. But it takes action. It takes action to really love. The, the emotional, like, you know, when I first met Karen, she would have called me, like, just a whisper out of her window. I'm going to thinking about Gio. I'd be like, you call me? I heard, I heard my voice. When I first met Karen, I was like, 
if she even whispered my name from three blocks away, I'd be running. I thought I heard my name, Gio. Did you call me? Anybody? Ten years later, I'm trying to ignore my name. She didn't hear me. She can't be. Maybe she'll forget. Maybe she doesn't hear me. Maybe she figured it out. Yeah, she figured it out. She stopped asking. Yeah, she figured it out. Way to go, Karen. Love is action. Love is truth. Love is telling your, telling your spouse, your relationship, things that hurt you. That's truth. You know, the same thing with God. Action and truth. Telling God how you really feel. It's important. And Jesus measures our love by what we do in the relationship. What we do, not necessarily what we say. We can say a lot of things. But action. You know, there's a guy named Bob, and he was in trouble. He forgot his wedding anniversary, and his wife was really angry. She told him, tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift in the driveway that goes from zero to 206 seconds, and it better be there. <laughs> the next morning, he got up early and left for work. When his wife woke up, she looked out the window, and sure enough, there was a box gift wrapped in the middle of the driveway. Confused, the wife put her robe on, ran out to the driveway, brought the box back to the end of the house. She opened it and found a brand new bathroom scale. Zero to 16, and Bob has been missing since Friday. <laughs> Let's love with the right kind of action, the right kind of life. If love is a standard in a, in a relationship with God, let's look at the definition of love. Character matters when it comes to the definition of love. Look at what it says in the Bible. Love is patient. The Greek word there is long-suffering. Okay? Long-suffering. Long that's what I mean. That's the word patience. Okay? You know, many of us read that in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, well, if you get married, you are looking for trouble. Long suffering. It takes character to stay married. It takes character. Love is kind. That's what love is. Now, here's what love is not. It's not envious. It is not puffed up, boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ouch! You mean I can't bring that in the argument? What happened to what? I can't bring that back? But it's, nope, can't do it. It's not easily angered either. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then love doesn't fail when it's applied like that. When we're easily angered or annoyed or irritated or more rude, that is not love. And your love eventually will grow cold. It is the hardest action to live out, is truly loving another. It's not this emotional love, I love you, I love you. It's not that. After a week of I love you, you're like, the only thing that's left is their character. 
And then you got to deal with that. That's the reality. How we love our children. Patient. Kind. One of my, one of my biggest struggles in this here is being proud and rude. It's one of my biggest struggles. You know, I overcompensate for not getting encouraged as a kid, so I always encourage myself. I was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just... You know, I never got the, hey, Gio, great job. My, my, my family would say, yeah, you're a loser, you know, you're, you're dumb. And so I'd overcompensate going, that's not true, I'm pretty awesome. And so I grew up with this, with, this, with this insecurity going, I have to say I'm pretty awesome when I do something good. So when I knew around the house, I said, honey, I, I came when you called me. I'm a pretty awesome husband, aren't I? She goes, no, you're just a prideful one. I said, oh, you know. So that's my biggest struggle. And, and uh, my wife, Karen, is a classy lady. She's classy. I was barbaric growing up. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crashing of two worlds. Most things what I do is considered rude. And because she, she's very classy. She, she was brought and raised proper. I was raised with three, you know, borderline, you know, Cro-Magnum men brothers. I mean, we were, we were wild. We never learned manners. Ten years later, Karen's still saying, can you not slurp your food? It's her biggest struggle. Because in my house, it wasn't right angle. It was fastest way to the bowl was your face was in it. <laughs> so, and I have that, and then I have children who are looking at me and going like, it's just very hard not to be rude. But love is action. So Karen has to be patient. Amen. <laughs> I'm growing. I want to change. And when we can do this, guys, and we can be successful in our relationships... Remember, the quote says, behind every successful man's man stands a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> Don't forget that. Come on, Ma. She's right there. We can do this. We can really love. We can really love each other. We can really do this, guys. That's the definition. Post that somewhere. You know, emotional love. You know, the Ricky Martins of the world. You know, all the all the Mark Anthony's of the world. You know, we hear the songs on the radio, we're like, it gets our heart going. We gotta be careful. God says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You know, emotional love is based on lust that comes from our sinful nature. It's a shallowness. It's a, it's a lustfulness that's not deep. It's not, it's not in depth. They're not concerned with loving his action and in truth. Remember what it says, not patient. It's not easily angered. And false love is found in Christianity today. There are many, many, many people that live under the guise of, I'm going to love God the way I think I should love him. And they come to church and they're Christianized. But the scriptures tell the opposite of, of what's true for their life. They come into a Christianized world. They, they may have grown up in church. They may have had a, an understanding of Christianity. But since you don't read or live by the scriptures, you really lose sight of what love really is. You lose sight of it. And the Bible says here that when you lose sight of it, 
you be, the world, the cultural standards become the norm versus the Bible. And that's dangerous because you'll lose your love for that. Yeah. You know? Uh, and this love is frustrating to someone who really wants a relationship with God. They go to church, they're, they're coming, but they're frustrated because they don't feel or they're not getting anywhere closer with God and living the life that they should be living. And that's frustrating. And they get disillusioned. You know, they go, where's the love? Where's the love? You know, and they begin to think, if love is the answer, could you please rephrase the question? And that's the frustration. They, 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 they come into an understanding that's not really love, but the environment they're in is not telling them truth and action. My third point today is, when he showed us his love, it changed our destiny. Amen. You know, when you really understand and really want a relationship with God, it'll change your destiny. Look what the Bible says here. In 1 Corinthians 15, and verse 20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is Paul writing. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in this order, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, when love came down, it changed our destiny. And the Bible reads here that when you follow God, your destiny is tied with the destiny of Jesus. Paul says, because of the disobedience of one man, Adam, it brought death to us all. Because he was disobedient, it brought us into a life that's destined for death. Yet because of his disobedience, inversely, the obedience of Jesus is the other man. And that brings us the resurrection. He died, was buried, and rose, from, rose again. 500 people saw him. This wasn't some kind of, you know, trickery. 500 people. Roman soldiers guarding it. People were aware that he might deceive people. And yet he rose from the dead. And we are bound to Christ if we are his disciples. We'll be raised to life. Can you imagine that? And if you read the rest of this chapter, how can if you've been dead, how can you raise life? He's like, come on now. God, God will do that. The perishable to the imperishable. Do you know when you raise from the dead that you get a whole new body? It's called the immortal body. It's called the spiritual body. Did you know that? You're not some kind of mystical little, little hollow spirit fl flying through heaven. <laughs> You're actually raised. Now, the only thing I don't know is what age range you get brought back in. Whether you're 70 or 20, I don't know. I'm hoping it was 39 as the cutoff age. It's nice. Been going to the gym lately, so I hope this is the cutoff, but I don't know. But the Bible does say that we'll be raised today. We will look exactly the way Jesus did. And remember what Jesus told Thomas? Here, you don't believe me? Touch my wrists. Touch my side. It was physical. It was a spiritual body. It was an amazing body. And he's writing here, look, if you're obedient to Christ, you'll be raised again. And I think in the heart of hearts, that's what we all want. We all want to get to heaven. But we got to be understanding. You got to get honest and you got to get real about where you're at with God now. You ever go to the mall for the first time and you're totally lost? Where do you, where's the first place you go? 
You got a little directory. It's, a little, it's always this weird thing, you know. In your, in your, and I love where it says, you are here. Because what I'm looking for is not, you know, K Jewelry. I'm looking for the restroom. Like, where's it at? There it is. If I want to get to the restroom, I have to know where I am now. And that's an important piece of information. You have to know where you are at today. If you're not in a good place, you can change that. If you're first time at church, you can come again and learn more. But don't learn from just coming to church. Learn by getting in the Bible. That's what changes you. And lastly, understand this. When you're a disciple, when you're, when you're a follower of Christ, you, you change your status. Your visa changes. Your citizenship changes. Everything changes. You're not, a, you're not a citizen of the United States. You're a citizen of heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, if you read the Bible, what I always find interesting is that Jesus was able to to, to show up in different rooms. Vroom, vroom. The room was locked and he shows up. Wow. I want that body. <laughs> I want that. There's so much ahead that we don't know, but with this we can be certain of. If you're a follower of Christ, you will resurrect and have the same body of Christ. That's what we do know in the scriptures. But we got to get our hearts right, get our minds right, and get our life right and align it with the word of God. Not our culture, not the Christianity that says, hey, just come to church once a year, once in a while, and just love God emotionally, and you're fine. That is the biggest deception. And don't believe that lie. Because God says the road is narrower versus the wide. So we have to understand that if we're going to love God, we got to live in a relationship that's true love. Just think about any friendship you have and anywhere else. When they're living by, they're humble and respectful and, and, and they're be truthful in their relationship, you're best friends, are you not? You're so close to that person. But when they're not truthful and they're keeping you at arm's distance and they, and they don't really have much concern for you, there's not much of a relationship. You forget their birthday. You know, tomorrow I turn 39. It's not a big deal, but it's just a birthday. But I, I live for one year extra, but I, got, I, got, like, I hope I got at least 20, 30 more years left in this race. It's not a sprint. Loving is not a sprint. Loving is long-suffering. And it is. The more I see my kids, the more I see my sinful nature in them. Yeah. It's there. I'm going, ah, that's what, I, that's what my dad was trying to tell me? It's there. We see it. Karen's like, that's like me when I was, yeah, it's there. So if we want them to get there, we got to get our life right. We got to get our life right. Because when love came down, God came down. And that God showed us love. And when he showed us love, it changed our destiny. Have a great afternoon. Have a great, great Merry Christmas, guys. Okay.